One, he's commissioned by God in order to stand before God. He's going to be commissioned by God to speak to a rebellious nation. He's going to be commissioned by God uh, as an effort to strengthen Ezekiel's heart because it's going to be a difficult ministry. Being a prophet of God is a difficult ministry. He's going to be commissioned by God and then swallow God's word. He's going to ingest the word of God and make that uh, a part of who he is. Uh, He's being commissioned by God in order that he might speak only, this is going to be important in Ezekiel, speak only God's word to those in captivity. And uh, he's being commissioned so that he can stand in the sight of the glory of the Lord. And ultimately, God's going to tell him part of his commission, part of Ezekiel's commission is God makes him mute. Bet you didn't know that about Ezekiel. We'll talk about that if we get that far. So strap strap in. Here we go. So we're going to back up to the end of verse 28 in Ezekiel 1, just to remember where we're at. He's seeing the Lord. He says, when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So you have Ezekiel standing before the king of kings. Remember the vision, the chariot throne of God coming, the four living creatures at the four wheels of the chariot. The Lord comes before him, and Ezekiel does exactly what everybody does before the Lord God Almighty. He falls prostrate. So he's on his face before the Lord. Then the scripture says he was filled with the ruach, the breath, or the spirit. So the spirit of God is going to enter him. Because in order to be a prophet of God, you can't do that without the spirit of God. So this was uh, God granting, giving unto Ezekiel his spirit. And it was the spirit of God that made him able to stand. That's still true today. The difference is we don't need a special commission. We've received that through uh, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. The gift he gives to all believers is the Holy Spirit, which enables us, like Ezekiel, to stand. So Ezekiel stands because of the Spirit. Now he's ready to receive his marching orders, right? And the only kind of person who can receive their marching orders before Lord God Almighty is someone who's ready. He receives the spirit, he stands, he's ready. Now as we look, we're going to be looking at chapters 2 and 3. And there is redundancy in the call in chapters 2 and 3. So I don't want you to be confused. I'm going to read a section in chapter 2. I'm going to read a section in chapter 3. We're not going to follow it linearly. We're going to try to stay uh, just just as the events are unfolding, okay? So where, where that redundancy happens, we're going to bring both of those pictures together. Ezekiel 2, verses 3 through 5, he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been been among them. In Ezekiel chapter 3, 
Beginning at verse 4, he said this, And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. So as the Lord is delivering the call to Ezekiel and preparing him for his ministry, he gives a description of the rebellion of the people. Now, he's going to say to Ezekiel, I'm sending you to Israel. So I don't want you to be confused. Hopefully this doesn't confuse you. When the nation was divided, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there was a northern kingdom, southern kingdom, roughly 120 years earlier, the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, was conquered. They're already gone. Now the southern kingdom is being conquered and entering into exile. And so now as the Lord is commissioning Ezekiel, he's not really going to divide them like two different kingdoms anymore. He's going to refer to them as one. He's going to refer to them as Israel. The other thing you need to understand is he is God's prophet to the exiles, which are God's remnant that he's going to reestablish the nation with, not the people back in Jerusalem. The people back in Jerusalem have a prophet. What's his name? You remember? Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. Ezekiel's in Babylon. And Ezekiel is the prophet to the remnant to prepare the next generation, the generation that in 70 years is going to come back. So he's there to get them. They're in a place of exile where God is trying to get their act together, if you will, through the prophets, get their act together so that there will be a remnant in 70 years ready to reestablish a nation. Just so you know, it's not the first time that happened. Right? Kadesh Barnea. You guys remember? Moses brings the people to the border of the promised land. They stand there, send out the spies, 10 spies. We can't do it. Two spies. Yes, we can. What did God say? All right. You're in exile in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness, one generation. When your kids come up, we'll be back. The exile, similar. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. And when that 70 years is finished, I'm going to bring you back to the land. Who's coming back? Their grandkids. They're coming back. And so what is the role of the nation that's in exile? To repair all the damage the rebellion has, uh, has accomplished over their, the history leading to the exile. So it's not to change Babylon. It's so that they can refocus and get that foundation laid for the next generation that's coming. That makes sense? In a lot of ways, I think this is a parallel with where the United States of America is. Because if you ask me, I feel like we've entered into a period of exile. And it's now our responsibility to turn our eyes inward, fix all the stuff that's messed up, get our act together, and prepare the next generation for the fight they're going to have. So and similarly, this is what Ezekiel's purpose is he's going to go and so the scripture tells us 
there in Ezekiel chapter 2. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this day. So transgression is the idea of knowing where the line is and going over it anyway. Everybody who hunts knows this, right? All you guys who hunt, and you get out there and you see that closed gate, and you know you're supposed to call somebody for permission, but I'm sure it'll be okay. Yeah, that's called transgression. Today we call it something else. Yeah, you guys get it. So transgression, knowing something I ought not do, and doing it anyway, so the Lord is saying, look, they're still transgressing. Ezekiel, you need to go. You need to get the older generation, because how's the younger generation going to learn? The older generation is supposed to teach them. And if the older generation doesn't repent and begin to teach what needs to be taught, the younger generation won't be ready to return. So Ezekiel, I want you to go. I want you to, 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 to talk to them in their rebellion. They were arrogant. He said uh, in chapter 2, the descendants are impudent and stubborn. That word impudent in the Hebrew it means they have a hard face, a brazen face. It's like uh, a face that just doesn't care. It's just going to do what it wants to do. Every uh, rebellious person on earth knows that face. I have that face. Many of us in this room have that face. I'm sure not everyone. I don't know you all. Uh, if I did, I would say you all had it, but <clears throat> there's probably a chance. Maybe somebody in here doesn't, but the idea of having a, your face set, uh, to do what you want, right? Th that goal. And, you know, ultimately for me, as soon as somebody says not to do something, what happens? That, that's the thing I want to do. I, God's going to fix it one day. Scripture also said, but in the house of Israel, uh, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Now, Jesus said the same thing. Why did people reject the message, the gospel message that Jesus brought? Jesus said in John chapter 5, they don't believe me because they did not believe my father. They don't believe the father, so they don't believe the son. He's saying to Ezekiel, if they won't soften their heart, to God's word, they're going to not listen to what you say either. But that doesn't change the commission, right? God's commission for his people to be of service for him has nothing to do with your uh, ability to accomplish the goal or whatever goal you may have. God's purpose in the call is that there will be someone on the corner proclaiming the word. So that those who are choosing rebellion and running uh, headlong into destruction cannot say, I was not warned. Yeah, you were. I know uh, in the past we took a little bit of heat from some of the stuff that we were doing out at Planned Parenthood. Another church has kind of took that on of late. They're out there, but I'm sure they're taking similar heat and the idea being why why do that why read the scripture to them as they're walking in why call them not to go because that's what god's word says to do it says to turn those who are heading to, into destruction warn them we're going to see it in ezekiel chapter three to give the warning they they may go anyways but they didn't go without hearing 
God said, don't do that. Right? Is it comfortable? No. No, but I'm not sure where that's at in the Bible. Right? Where being obedient to God is going to be comfortable. So this is Ezekiel's call. Go. They're not going to want to hear you. They're going to be antagonistic towards you, right? He said, uh, Scripture also told us, for you are not sent to a people of foreign speech or hard language, but to the house of Israel. So he's saying this should be easy because they can understand what you're saying. You're not going to a bunch of people with different cultures, different languages, hard things to learn, words you can't understand. And then the Lord uses sarcasm. Yes, there is sarcasm in the Bible. Do you see that phrase? Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen. That's sarcasm. If I sent you to people who couldn't understand you, they'd listen. But the people who can, they are hard-headed. You ever met anybody like that? They are hard-headed. They are stubborn. What is God's desire? I send you to them, and you will say to them, thus saith the Lord. This is the word that Ezekiel is supposed to give. This is not about giving an apologetic. This is not about providing an argument that says, hey, this is why you should believe the words I'm saying. What did God tell Ezekiel to do? Tell them, thus saith the Lord. You tell them the words I give you. Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Not, not our words, God's word. He's, that's what he's telling Ezekiel. This is the divine commission. And whether they hear or refuse, they will know what? A prophet was among them. Oftentimes when we get a mental idea of a prophet, we think of somebody telling us the events of the future. But that is, the vast majority of prophecy is not that. The vast majority of prophecy is a man speaking God's word to the people. And most of the time, that message is repent. Repent. Change your direction. You're headed to destruction. Turn and live. That was the message. What did Jonah say? Jonah walked through the middle of Nineveh. A bunch of people he didn't want to see saved. And he said, in 40 days, God's going to wipe you all out. And they repented. So when we, we see here, Ezekiel's call, right? This commission, this commission is laying out for him. You're going to speak to a rebellious nation. But it also is a point of strengthening Ezekiel's heart. Because you're going to think you could have said something to save somebody. You're going to think you could have done something that would have saved somebody. When what you're doing is proclaiming the word of God because in the word of God is the seed of salvation. Does that make sense? I don't carry that seed. The father, the son, they have it. The Holy Spirit, he has it. I have no power. I have a voice. Isn't that what John the Baptist was used for? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight your path to the Lord. Prepare a people to hear from God. And so, to strengthen his heart, it says in Ezekiel 2, picking it up in verse 6, And you, son of man, 
Be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Seems uncomfortable. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks. For they are a rebellious house, and you shall speak my words to them. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. See how he's repeating this ideal, right? That it's not about, it's not Ezekiel's job to bring repentance. It's Ezekiel's job to call for repentance. Does that make sense? He, he doesn't have the power to turn the heart. That's God. Ezekiel's going to talk about that, right? God can give you a heart of flesh. <laughs> and so he's delivering the message. He says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. If you have ever been in an uncomfortable place proclaiming the gospel, you understand what this is like. Because you will have heard words that you're not, you don't usually line up to hear. Nobody goes out someplace to be cursed at or yelled at or, or, or uh, accosted, maybe that's a good word. So he's saying to Ezekiel, I don't want you to be afraid of their words. And I want you to notice in a moment, we're going to see God say to Ezekiel, I've made you hard so you can do it. God's commandments are his enablements. When God commissions, he will give you what's necessary to accomplish that commission. He'll give you the things you need. By the way, are we commissioned? Isn't there something in the Bible called the Great Commission? Is that just for preachers? <laughs> Going to all nations, making disciples, make disciples of every nation, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things Jesus taught you. Yeah, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. God's commandments, his enablements, if he calls us to be a part of the commission, he equips us to do it. So he's laying out here, don't be afraid. And honestly, these are the things that still stop people from bearing witness uh, today, where we are afraid, afraid of being an offense, afraid of, of what, how someone will respond, afraid of what's going to happen. In Ezekiel 3, verse 8 and 9, we have the Lord speak of it again. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Now that doesn't mean they're dressed funny or they look funny, but they're going to look at you with disgust. Currently, the climate in our culture is one very similar, right? Uh, if, if you're still a part of social media uh, networks, you should be recognizing that several prominent, outspoken Christian people on the various platforms have been deplatformed. They're gone. That voice has been silenced. Eventually, uh, all the the true Christian voices, the voice of truth, will be completely silenced, and we will have to go again to the city square, not to cyberspace. It's a little easier on cyberspace. It's a little tougher in the city square, but it can be done. And so this is what he's saying. Don't be afraid of their looks. Don't be afraid of the pushback. You still got to be there. 
You still got to be a part. Don't fear their words. Now, that whole phrase, um, um, though, you, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, uh, most people are not sure what that's all about. There are several, what they call in the Bible, several hapex legmemnon. I never say that word right. Which means it's a word used in the Hebrew that's not used ever again. So translating a word they only use once is challenging, right? Unless you can find it other places. The problem is most apexes, that, that's it. That's where they're at. So, so there's some discussion about whether this means that your ministry is going, there, there's going to be pain, you know, briars and brambles, but those things don't kill. Or whether the briars and brambles are supposed to be a border that God's putting between Ezekiel and those who are going to uh, be angry at, at his ministry. But either way, um, we, either way, it, it, uh, it brings us uh, some understanding about, about what's going on in terms of Ezekiel, don't be afraid, be strong, be courageous. The Lord your God is with you, what? Wherever you go, right? That's a common challenge, the strengthening of the prophet in the commissioning of all the other prophets as well. Now he's going to move. Now we'll, now we'll be a little more linear. Now in Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 8, <clears throat> he's going to have a message for him. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Which usually means God's going to ask you to do something and you're going to say, What? Does that ever happen in the Bible? Does God always take a common sense approach? Yeah, just so you know, that's probably not the test of whether or not something is of God. Or it was not common sense to march around Jericho. Yeah, there's a lot of things in the Bible that were not common sense. So the Lord says to Ezekiel, he's there, present. Don't forget chapter 1. You still have God sitting on the throne, four living creatures delivering this message to Ezekiel. And God is telling him, don't be rebellious like this rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. <laughs> that, just so you know, when a human does this to me, that makes me super nervous. <laughs> just try this. Uh, what is it? Oh, don't worry about it. Just try it. No, where's the camera? What's going on? This seems bad. So the Lord begins it with, don't be rebellious. Open up your mouth. Eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand stretched out to me, and a scroll of a book was in it. Now, if you are a, a Bible student, this should start to sound familiar to you. There are at least three prophets that are told to eat the scroll of the prophecy they deliver. John the Revelator, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. So you have this experience where the Lord is handing him. Now, I also want you to understand who's sitting on the throne. It is the Son sitting on the throne. It is the pre-incarnate Christ. Why? Because it's a hand reaching out to him. God the Father is spirit. No one has seen the Father at any time. It is the Son, the God in the bosom of God, who delivers or uh, helps us understand God. John 1, 18. 
He is showing us uh, the Father. He is the visual representation, if you will. So, <clears throat> so when he says a hand's going out, this is Jesus on the throne. This is Jesus speaking and giving the commission to Ezekiel. I know this because in John chapter 12, it was Jesus who Isaiah stood before in the throne when the, when the scripture tells in Isaiah 6 that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Yahweh. In John 12, it says, these words Isaiah said when he saw me. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus sitting on the throne, a hand goes out to him. On that hand is a scroll. He spread it before me. It had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. There's a scroll written on the front and the back. That should sound familiar as well. A scroll written on the front and the back. That's a scroll that that uh, John sees in the hands of the Lamb as though he had been slain, sitting on the throne in the heavenly vision in the book of Revelation. And so he lays it out. What's on the scroll? Lamentation, mourning, and woe. Let me give it to you in simpler language. Bad news. Right? Lamentation, mourning, and woe. These are words indicating God's judgment. So here are the words of God's judgment. Now, why is this important for the prophet to bring to the exiles? Because the exiles are sitting in as, as prisoners, they're sitting as slaves in a refugee camp, and they're wondering, what happened, God? Why are we here? So God's going to speak to those people through Ezekiel and tell them, it's because of your rebellion, this is my judgment, you're here, but I'm going to bring a remnant from you. And the challenge then is for the faithful that hear the message of Ezekiel to pour out their wisdom and understanding upon the next generation who's going to come for what purpose? So that they don't make the same mistakes of the generation that went before. Is it, what's it say in Deuteronomy? What is, what is the role of the family? What are we supposed to do? Fathers, what are we supposed to do to our kids? Teach them these things. When you rise up and when you lie down, when you walk, when you're in the way, wherever you go, whatever you do, teach, teach, teach. When you sit down and, you're, and your children ask you at the Passover meal, why do we do this? What were they supposed to do? You tell them, teach them the lessons that we have learned. That's the message Ezekiel is delivering. And this is the purpose behind doing it. But before he does it, God's word is a mirror. For the prophet, God's word is a meal. I am not outside of God's judgment. Neither was Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Isaiah. They were a part of it. They became a voice piece, right, for God during that time. But before they could be a voice piece, Isaiah had to say, woe is me. Jeremiah had to say, woe is me. Ezekiel has his moment. 
standing before God, eating the scroll, eating lamentation, mourning, and woe, making that judgment a part of you. The word of God first has to make its, do its work in the one who would share it and speak it before the one who shares it and speaks it can give it. Otherwise, you will run around in this world with a giant plank out of your eye. So first we deal with our plank before we try to deal with a speck in our brother's eye, right? So he's to eat the scroll. He spread it before me, had writing on it, words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. Chapter 3, verse 1. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find there. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat, and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll, and I, with the scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. In Jeremiah verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 16, here's what Jeremiah said. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, Yahweh, God of hosts. John, Revelation chapter 10, verse 9. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it in my stomach, it was made bitter. The word of God is what's being ingested in these instances. For Jeremiah, for Ezekiel, for John. In the book of Job, Job would say this. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. The whole concept behind the idea of fasting is to put away all these other desires. And whenever we're filled with a desire for those things that we put away, we go to his word. We go and flee to his presence. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There is not a word of God in scripture that God gives you for someone else that is not first for you. Please hear that. The word of God first has to be ingested. It has to become a part of me in order for me to give that out. Otherwise, it's like a guy who's never had his arm broke trying to set your arm. Would you do that? You ever broke your arm? Yeah, Kathy's nodding. She's done it for two years in a row. She's an expert arm breaker. When they were trying to set Kathy's arm, they, they knocked her out. And then as I watched, and they started moving that arm all over the place, her unconscious body was trying to do backflips. It was the hardest thing I have ever watched. So her body still knows, her mind's just disconnected, right? Her body knows what you're doing hurts like the dickens. I would rather have someone set my arm who knew that pain 
Why? Because they'll be gentle. Isn't that what the Bible tells us to do for one another? Restore one another in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, understanding, right? So that we know the problem is too many, far too many people take the word of God, use it as a bat on one another, and aren't allowing the word of God first to be ingested to change the one who's delivering. So, the immediate consequence, when he ate the scroll, the word of God is sweet to his taste, right? Psalm, 10, uh, Psalm 19.10 says the same word. More to be desired are these than gold, much more than fine gold, sweeter than honey. And the honeycomb, he's talking about the commandments of God. Psalm 119, the whole psalm is about the word of God. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey. <coughs> sweeter than honey in my mouth. <clears throat> so, he sends them. He sends Ezekiel, right? Go speak God's word to the exile. To the captive. Speak it to the captive. And he says to him, I don't want you to speak anything unless I give you the word to speak. He says in Ezekiel 3.10, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears and go to the exiles to your people and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. So he says, you take my words to them. That's the commission of a prophet. Not whether or not you can start a YouTube channel. Anybody can do that. That was the craziest thing. I, I, I made a very short, silly video on all the people who think the the these weird have these weird ideas about the end times, and I called the video the end times, and it has more hits than any video I've ever made. And the people all over it arguing about what's happening in the end times. That's the dumbest argument on earth. That's the biggest waste of our time. doesn't matter. The Lord said, you're not going to know the day. You're not going to know. No one's going to know. Jesus said, only my Father knows. Why are we arguing about when it's going to be? doesn't matter. All we know is as the day gets closer, our job becomes more and more, mm, is important the right word, more, more and more serious, right? We need to get, we need to be active. We need to be about it. That was kind of the point of that video. Nobody got it. <laughs> but it has like 2,000 views. You know, most of my videos have two views. So 2,000 views was a big. But you have these other guys who make these crazy prophecies that aren't true. And you watch the people flocking to watch a prophet who is a self-proclaimed prophet give words that don't happen. Here he says, you speak my word. In Jeremiah 23, if you guys want to flip there, you can. I'm going to look at a five or six verses. Jeremiah 23, beginning at verse 16. This is Jeremiah's test. Okay, you had a lot of false prophets in the time of Jeremiah, right? 
Jeremiah said, surrender. All the false prophets said, don't surrender. The false prophets were wrong. Everybody who kept fighting died. Jeremiah was trying to save lives, but they called him a coward and a hater of his people and unpatriotic and all, all types of other things. And in the meantime, he was the only one who really cared about the people in the first place. And if they had listened to him, no one would have starved. No one would have ate their children. No one would have went through the things they went through. But they rebelled against the true prophet and listened to false prophets because the false prophets said what they want to hear. Here's what Jeremiah said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hope. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, <clears throat> no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them, listen, for who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Who has paid attention to his word and listen? Did Jeremiah stand in the presence of the Lord? Absolutely did. Did he see the word? He did. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Yeah, he received the word from the word of God himself. That's what makes someone a prophet. Not a self-proclamation. And what they speak is only God's word. It's not interpretive. It's just his word. Speak his word. Listen to what he says. Behold the storm of the Lord. Jeremiah uh, still 2319. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back. Until he has executed and accomplished. The intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, if they had stood before me, just like Ezekiel, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like a true prophet, if they stood before me, Then they would have proclaimed my word to the people, and they would have turned them from their evil way, from the evil of their deeds. Instead, they fought against what God was doing, because they presumed to know without a call. This is why in the New Testament, Paul challenges us to test the spirits, because a lot of people say they're speaking for the Lord. But they are not all real. They are not all true. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 12. Then the spirit lifted me up. So now Ezekiel's coming off the ground. Then the spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the Lord, or blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. So now the, the chariot of God is lifting up and Ezekiel is going up with it. And he's, he's there on the shores of the Kibar Canal. <coughs> and in the sound of the wings, 
of the living creatures as they touched one another and the sound of the wheels beside them, the sound like a great earthquake. So there's a lot of noise when the four living creatures start their flying, when the chariot of God comes off the ground, when God speaks with his voice, sounds like a great earthquake. Verse 14, and the spirit lifted me up and took me away. Took me away from what? From that presence that he was in was right there in the presence of God. I will tell you this. Nobody ever wants to leave that place. Nobody. Isaiah wouldn't have left the throne room. Ezekiel wouldn't have left the chariot. Because you're finally in the one place that you really want to be. But you've been commissioned Listen to what Ezekiel says. The spirit took me away and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. God's got a serious call. Ezekiel's got to go. And so I came to the exiles at Tel Abib. So now he goes back to the town. Remember where he was. He was sitting outside at the canal on his 30th birthday, the day he would have been installed as a priest, but he's a slave. There's no slave priest. God comes to him on the Kabar Canal. He has this, this experience with the Lord. The Lord lifts him up in one last glorious push. And the Spirit takes Ezekiel back to the town. Ezekiel goes to Tel Abib, who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal. <clears throat> and I sat there where they were dwelling. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. So here's another example of what you can really learn to do well. Say nothing. He goes and he sits down and he's overwhelmed. I got to do this thing. And he's looking around and he's overwhelmed at all the exiles around him that are all messed up. And I got to speak God's word to them. And he sat there quiet seven days. He sat there overwhelmed and at the end of seven days suddenly I realized what I should do no what happened at the end of seven days the word of the Lord came to me again when the Bible says the word of the Lord came to me it does not mean a thought entered into their mind the word of the Lord is a person You're going to see the word of the Lord reach out his hand. You're going to see the word of the Lord, uh, the, the hand of the Lord being upon him. You're going to see the word of God touch him. That's not a thought, right? That's a being. He sits there among the people seven days. Then the word of the Lord came to me. You remember what he's supposed to speak? Don't say nothing unless what? Unless it's my word. Good lesson? Yeah. The only time I've ever been in trouble is when I say my own words. Every time. If I get in trouble for a message, it'll be because I said something I should have not said. Told a story I should not have said. Said something about my wife's feet I should not have said. That's the only time. Those are the times I get. I never get in trouble for just reading the Bible. Nope. It's all that other stuff. I need to learn. 
Ezekiel's lesson. He says in Ezekiel 3:17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Pretty clear instructions, right? Give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. So obviously there's a way for them to respond, right? You catch that, yes? If I say, surely you'll die, but he's not able to respond to save his life because you didn't tell him, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require of you. His blood will be on your hand. 19. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deed that he has done will not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. That's the commissioning of a prophet. You have to. You don't get to say, people say all the time, why do you care how somebody lives? Because the Bible says, if I don't give warning, what, how'd it go? If you don't tell them it's wrong, how's it go? If you just let the wicked run down through their wickedness and never say a word? That's why the Christian worldview, the Christian ethic is always at odds with the world. Because the world wants all these other things. The world wants just just live, live and let live. And honestly, I'd like to, but God says I can't. God says I have to say. This is wickedness. It's not okay. You have been warned. It says then, And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, Arise and go out into the valley, and there I will speak to you. So he got up and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen at the Kabar Canal, and I fell on my face. So once again, he's standing before Jesus outside the city now, the hand of the Lord came and touched him and said, go outside. And said, but the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. Once again, the spirit gave him strength to stand before the Lord. And he spoke with me and said to me, go shut yourself within your house. Here is the craziest uh, call of a prophet in the entire Bible. Ezekiel's like one of my heroes. He did some wild stuff. 
Go shut yourself within your house, and you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed on you. You will be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. Don't leave your house. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them for their rebellious house. So you're not going to be able to say anything. But it's a strange way to start, right? Go sit in your house, close the door. I'm going to make you mute so you can't speak. I don't want you running over there reproving. I want you to say my words, right? But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth. And you will say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who will hear, let him hear. He who will refuse to hear, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house. So God says, listen, the way this is going to work is when Ezekiel walks out of his house, all the people are going to gather. Because the only time Ezekiel comes out of his house is when he has a word from the Lord. And the only word he's going to speak is the word God gave him to speak. And he will speak that word. He will do that act. He will accomplish that thing. And then he says something you should sound familiar if you read the book of Revelation. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. And so that's the commission of Ezekiel. That is how a prophet gets the job. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity that we have to study your word, God, to understand, to comprehend, Lord, the power of your word. Jesus came and he <clears throat> stood before the people and he said, I only say the things my father gave me to say. Because he is the word of God. And those who reject Jesus' word have also rejected the Father's word. Because it is the word of God. When a prophet was called, he was challenged to do what? Speak God's word. There is power in God's word. Lord, you challenge us to know you, to understand you, to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and width and depth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, I pray that we would be challenged by that, to want to know you, to understand, to grow to hear and make application, Lord, because while Ezekiel's word was to the rebellious remnant of exiles, I sit in a room of rebellious exiles myself. And I know you have application for us as well. May we rightly divide and apply your word and may you be glorified as we do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.